Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Bible Centered Podcast. Uh, I want to thank each of you for your support. Uh, I've been getting a lot of feedback uh, from many different places. Uh, I want to thank you for supporting and and the kind ratings and the reviews that you guys have given. Uh, we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for the support. Um, today I, I want to delve uh, into the book of Matthew. Um, our first episode we were in Matthew. The last two we were in Genesis, and now we're back to Matthew. Uh, feels like a one year Bible reading plan. <laughs> Um, going from Matthew to Genesis. Um, But there's an interesting concept that God puts in his word that what I love about the word of God is how you have to, there's some things you have to dig out that there there's things that are surface surface level that are, that are powerful and profound. And then there's these, uh, these depths. When I read the Bible, I, I want to figure out what God is trying to speak to his people and what did it mean to them? What, what did it mean to the author he inspired? What are they trying to get us to understand? And Matthew chapter 2, verse... 23 this is this is an interesting this is an interesting passage of scripture that is that that really ministers to me because just to see the the majestic nature of God and just how amazing God is Matthew chapter 2 verse 23 it says this and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. This is speaking of Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus from Bethlehem to Egypt to the parts of Galilee and finally dwelling in Nazareth whenever they were trying to escape from King Herod. Herod uh, tried to kill him. He killed all the all the children two years and under in Bethlehem. But a lot of people read over this story very quickly, not seeing the the jewels and the treasures that are that are in this story and in this particular verse. Because remember, Matthew is writing to the Jewish people to persuade them that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And you you notice how he goes through the lineage and shows that Jesus didn't only come for the Jews, but he came for the Gentiles, anyone that's not a Jew, that he came to not just die for the sins of the Jews, but to die for the sins of the world. And he makes sure that he notes that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That that is that is that is incredible to think about because 
that Jesus is God with us. And that word God is alluding to the Hebrew term in Genesis 1, Elohim, which speaks to the transcendent nature and transcendent majesty of God. Now, Matthew is writing, inspired by the Holy Ghost, that Jesus is Elohim, the transcendent God with us. Now, now only God is so big that he can package transcendence. God is so big, he can put all of his transcendence in a baby. That that has to blow people's minds. That not only blows my mind, I'm sure it blew uh, their minds that, that Jesus was God in the flesh, the theanthropos, theo, God, anthropos, man, the God-man, fully God and fully man. And this king of kings, it, he would not be welcomed in a palace or welcomed in a uh, with this um, amazing open door of opportunity. But literally, he's born and 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 placed in a manger. Imagine that, the transcendent God placed in a manger. That God in all of his beauty and majesty that he's willing to come down into the the filth of man. I know everyone puts in Christmas, they put uh, their uh, dress up a manger uh, in these different Christmas plays that you see throughout the world. They put a manger and it's this beautiful manger, the hay's just right. But but a manger is simply a cattle trough. It, it is it is an an ugly space that God was placed in. I'm so thankful that God isn't intimidated by the ugliness. That God isn't afraid to get down in the mess with the cattle trough. They place God there. The cattle trough, this this manger, they place God there and notice the manger now is not remembered for the filthiness of its past, but it's remembered because God was laid down in it. Even so, we will not be remembered for the filthiness of our past. We're going to be remembered that God laid himself down in us and made us as vessels, a temple for him to dwell in. That's unbelievable to me that God would want to dwell in the ugliness. But we see it all throughout scripture. He did it with the tabernacle. The tabernacle, God's glory came down in a tabernacle made out of badger skins. Have you ever seen a badger skin? I I don't know. I'm not too, uh, (laughs) I I don't think a badger skin is too beautiful. but but it's only beautiful when God's glory was laid down in it. The manger is only beautiful because God laid himself down in it. And, 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 and it's amazing because the manger was so filthy that they, they did a study. Um, these researchers uh, did a study. They were trying to figure out why uh, a bunch of cattle were dying in an area in the Midwest. And I believe it was Stanford 
uh, a prestigious university uh, did did this study trying to figure out why all these cattle were dying in the Midwest. Uh, a lot of them were dying. A lot of them were getting sick. And after much research, as they looked to and fro throughout the terrain, trying to see if they're getting sick from the grass or getting sick from the from the climate or the conditions, they they realized that all the cattle were getting sick because of their cattle trough. That the cattle trough was the breeding ground for a bacteria called E. coli. And as these cattle were eating in this cattle trough, they were getting infected with E. coli and E. coli spreads whenever you touch another. And so many of the cattle were getting sick and they found the origin of the sickness was the cattle trough. It's amazing that God would want to lay himself down in a sick place. And notice that, that the dirtiness of the manger did not taint the purity of Jesus. But Jesus' purity overpowered the filth of the manger. So many beautiful things that you could see in Matthew. The wise men come from the east, 500 to 800 miles to come and see him while those in close proximity in Jerusalem are troubled by his presence. They're being resisted by those that are familiar, but being embraced by those that are strange. So many things to see in Matthew. I could just spend all day talking about Matthew, but a beautiful point in the beginning of this book, which what I read is very amazing because King Herod now wants to kill this threat of a king, someone being king of the Jews. And because he's threatening, because he, he's threatened by Jesus' presence, he tries to kill all the kids in Bethlehem, but Joseph is warned in a dream to depart. He leaves, he flees to Egypt, and then he flees to, after King Herod dies. Uh, the, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream in Egypt, saying, now you can take, take the child back to Israel because they are dead with salt for the young child's life. And they came into the land of Israel, but they were scared because they heard that Archelaus reigned in Judea. And so they were afraid and being warned of God in a dream, they turned aside into the parts of Galilee and they came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. And Matthew says that it was prophesied that he shall be called a Nazarene. Mm. It was prophesied that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, Matthew, the theme of Matthew is fulfillment. He always wants to talk to the Jews about how Jesus is fulfilling scriptures, how he's fulfilling the law and the prophets. And he sees fit here to say that it was prophesied that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, what's interesting about this, and I want you guys to do your study, is that there is nowhere in the Old Testament where a prophet ever says that Jesus would be called or the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. There's not one Old Testament scripture that prophesies that the Messiah would be 
a Nazarene. This has had theologians and 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 baffled because they're saying, where is Matthew getting this from? Uh, the, the closest that they tried to make sense of it was a Hebrew word for branch, which is netzer, and it sounds similar to nazar, and that, that's a stretch. We, we, need a, we need biblical evidence, biblical proof of what Jesus, uh, what the writer meant when he said that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. So, so how how do you get to that understanding? What did he mean by this? Well, you got to see what Nazareth, Nazareth meant to the Jewish people in that time. And Nazareth was on a major Gentile trade route. There were a lot of Gentiles and Gentile influence in Nazareth. It was a small city, and because of the Gentile influence, it was really rejected by the Jewish community. Oh my, it, it was a rejected place. As a matter of fact, when Nathaniel heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he said, can there be any good thing that comes out of Nazareth? Nathaniel was from Cana of Galilee, which was a terrible city, but even he looked down on Nazareth. It was a rejected place that, 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 Jesus came to dwell in, and he, they said he would be called a Nazarene. And it, it's very interesting because anyone that is born in a city, you're always called by the name of that city. See, it's Saul of Tarsus. It's, it's People are identified with where they were born, not by where they were raised. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, it was an ancient city. It was a city where the matriarchs were buried. It was the city of kings. David came out of Bethlehem. His, his, uh, there, there were matriarchs that were buried there to this day um, in Bethlehem. I believe it's Rachel that was buried in Bethlehem. It was a city of matriarchs. It was a city of royal lineage. It was a city of royalty where kings came out of Bethlehem. And Jesus is born there in Bethlehem among understanding the royal theme that is in Bethlehem, yet you never hear anyone say, Jesus, the Bethlehemite. He was supposed to be called a Bethlehemite. He was born in Bethlehem. But he's not called a Bethlehemite. He's called a Nazarene. And it's crazy because Nazareth was a rejected place. It was a rejected city. Everyone looked down on those that were from Nazareth. It was an insignificant uh, uh, piece on the map. It was a rejected city. Yet God wanted to be identified with this rejected city. And so what did Matthew mean when the prophets prophesied that he would be called a Nazarene? They were saying that it was prophesied that he would be rejected and he would be synonymous with rejected rejection because Nazareth was synonymous with that word rejection. He was alluding to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse one through three, where it says, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? 
For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised, here it is, and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Later, the New Testament writers would say, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Why? You're from Nazareth. Nothing great comes out of Nazareth. It's a rejected place. But it's not. But he's not called a Bethlehemite. He's supposed to be called a Bethlehemite by that royal city, that royal lineage, that that royal place. But you never heard anybody ever cast out a demon saying, "In the name of Jesus, the Bethlehemite." You would look at them crazy, like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you talking about?" It's Jesus of Nazareth. You see, what God was showing us was when I, when I come to earth, I did not come to identify with my royalty. I came to identify with the rejected. I did not come to identify with people that have it all together. I came to identify with the rejected, with the broken, the bruised, the hurting, and the battered. I came to identify with those that are put out of sorts as if they're not valuable. And I want to show you that I am willing, even in my transcendent nature, even in my holiness, that I'm willing to come down in the muck and the mire and come alongside you and let you know that I'm your God and that I'm willing to bring something beautiful out of the brokenness and I'm willing to bring something beautiful out of the rejected. And just because you're rejected by man doesn't mean you're not accepted by me. I'm so thankful that God is willing to come where we are. This king that should have been welcomed in, in a palace, this, this king that should have been, been welcomed in, in a palace, he's, he's welcomed in, in a mundane major, in a mundane manger. Uh, he, the, the, the creator humbles himself as a creature. The priest humbles himself as a lamb. The, the maker humbles himself in a manger. Uh, God willing to humble himself, but not that, but just identify with the rejected people on earth when he had every right to assert himself as Lord and as King. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that he took on the form of a servant, that he possessing all things became nothing that we might possess. That is powerful. That through his poverty, we might be made rich. Wow. The creator, the, the one who's being worshiped by angels, wants to come and talk to lepers. Wow. The rejected of society. He wants to come. And the Bible says even at one point that he, he casts people out of the temple and when he cast these people out of the temple, these were everyone that's qualified to be in the temple. He cast out the qualified, and then the Bible says he brought in the blind and the lame in the temple. Now, according to Leviticus, the blind and the lame were never to enter into the temple. But it's interesting that he cast out the qualified and brought in the unqualified, and he healed them there in that temple. 
Jesus is masterful. I'm so thankful that he's willing to identify with the brokenness and the rejection and the hurting and the bruise that, that we're not so less that he's not willing to come and help us. Who am I talking to that's listening to this podcast that, that has come from brokenness, that has come from uh, hurt and has come from a rough background and has come from a painful situation? I'm telling you that God's willing to step into the mess and make something beautiful come out of a broken place. I, I, I know what it means to be, to be uh, from Nazareth, from a rejected place. Uh, I, I was I was abused as a child. I, I was beaten for the first five years of my life. I, I could not speak a word of English intelligibly because of the beatings that I was taking, saying, you're nothing, you're nobody, you'll never be anything. Why don't you commit suicide? I wish you had never been born. I, I, I know what I'm talking about. I, I was raised in Nazareth. I know how it feels to be raised in a Nazareth community and being rejected and being feeling like, why am I here? Why do I exist? I'm a of no value to anyone. The abuse was so bad for the first five years, I couldn't speak a word of English intelligibly. My mom had to send me to a speech therapist to teach me how to talk for a year. My whole kindergarten year, I was in speech therapy every day, every week, teaching me how to talk because I still babbled as a child at five years old because of the abuse and the trauma that I was under. And my mom told me, she said, Victor, what I don't understand is you couldn't speak a word of English for the first five years of your life. But she said, I'll never forget when you were on your grandma's porch at three years old. She said, I'll never forget you picked up a stick off the ground. She said, you started, you started pacing back and forth. You started swaying. And she said, you picked up that stick and you put it to your mouth and you used it as if it was a microphone. And you started pacing back and forth. And the only word that we understood that you said was Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus acting like you were preaching. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't get into church uh, faithfully until I was 19 years old. I wasn't raised in church, but I'm so thankful that God was willing to reach down into Nazareth with a boy with a stutter, where God would reach down even in his holiness, even in his greatness, even in his transcendence, even in his majesty, even while he's receiving the worship of angels, he is concerned of a little boy that's abused and say, I can make something beautiful come out of a broken space. I see a calling on him that I can use for my glory, that God would be willing to come down into my Nazareth. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that, that is the hope for mankind that everyone has access to him, no matter how rough a background they've had. I'm so thankful that he's still called Jesus of Nazareth. If he was called Jesus of Bethlehem, I would have no access. There's nothing royal about me. I have no royal lineage. I, I come from messed up genealogy. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, if you really get into my genealogy, uh, it, it, you just don't even want to go back no more. It looks so bad. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it, it was, it, it's, it's, it's not good. It's, it's just not good. But somehow in the midst of it all, every person on this earth has a value is and is on God's radar. 
to be used for his glory. I'm so thankful he's willing to come down into Nazareth. But when you're raised in Nazareth, it, when you come from a tough background, when you come from abuse, when you come from whatever you came out of, divorce, divorced parents. See, it's in Nazareth, those that are raised with divorced parents. It's in Nazareth, those that were raped as a child. It's in Nazareth, those that were molested and never told anybody about it. It's in Nazareth, those that are victims of domestic violence. It's in Nazareth, those uh, that had a father that always looked down on them. It's in Nazareth, those that had a mother that always spoke against them and tried to sabotage them. And those that are raised in Nazareth, what God wants you to know in Matthew 2 and 23 is that I am willing to come down into Nazareth and bring something beautiful out of those ashes. You see, when you're raised in Nazareth, you get really nervous when church folk tell you they love you. If you want to make a Nazarene nervous, all you've got to do is tell them you love them. And they get nervous and they tense up because you still have the knife wounds in your back from all the people that told you they loved you. And you've been backstabbed. And now when you come from a Nazareth, it's tough to believe that, it, that you're even worthy of love. Those Nazarenes that they were beaten by their dad or abandoned by their dad. And so, and so, they try to make all this money. You know, dad's been dead for 10 years, but they try to make all this money and try to become, they become millionaires and billionaires. And, and you ask, what's the motivating factor? The motivating factor is I'm going to prove myself to daddy that, that he never should have left me. Their whole life is spent trying to prove themselves to a dead man that I'm going to show you that, that you never should have left me when I was young. No amount of money that they make will ever fill the void. It's not until Jesus comes down into Nazareth that he'll fill the void. This is why there are young ladies that get in all types of relationships. And they get in all these relationships. And none of the relationships work out. Why? Because they're looking for somebody that's just like their daddy. And daddy left them. Now their relationships leave them. No amount of relationships will ever fill the void. It's not until you call on Jesus to come down into Nazareth that he'll fill the void. It's the only thing that'll work. Nazarenes, those that are raised in these types of environments, Nazarenes, they are they get they get paranoid when God starts blessing them. When God starts blessing them, they they get, they get nervous. They get, they get paranoid because, because they feel like God is just blessing them to, to expose them. And he's going to pull the rug out from under them and expose them for the, the weakling that they are. They're scared that God, even his blessings are a temptation that they're going to fail. Oh, I'm going to fall of pride. I'm going to fall of pride. I'm going to fall of pride. I'm going to fall. Why? Because their whole life, they were told they were unworthy. And so they feel unworthy of the blessing. So unworthy of the blessing. Here it is that they will self-sabotage. That when things are going good, they get so nervous, they will create problems. 
And as soon as they self-sabotage, you know what they do? They breathe out a sigh of relief. I knew I couldn't handle it. My whole life, my mom told me I couldn't handle it. My whole life, my dad told me I couldn't handle it. I'm so glad I failed. They feel more worthy of failure than success. They have a fear, fear of failure. They have a fear of success. Because they fear success, they, their body never comes into alignment with success because whatever the mind fears, it runs from. And if the mind fears success, it will never allow the body to adopt the habits of success. Who am I talking to? I'm talking to somebody on here that needs to be delivered from fear. That you're not going to be what dad was. Your dad may have been an alcoholic. You're not going to be what he is. Your mom may have been addicted to drugs, but you're not going to be what they are because Jesus is willing to come down into your Nazareth and bring out something beautiful from a broken space. I'm so thankful that he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the God of the broken places. And what I love about this is that Nazareth can't exist without Bethlehem and Bethlehem can't exist without Nazareth. What's interesting is both cities were instrumental, here it is, to the maturity of the body of Christ. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem and he had to be raised in Nazareth. And both cities were instrumental in fulfillment of the word. See, Nazareth, it's, it's those first generation Christians that come from a tough background, that come from rough homes and come from all of these things. But the Bethlehemites, those raised in Bethlehem, uh, those are the ones with the royal heritage. Those are the ones in the royal lineage. Those are the ones with the sacred traditions. See, Bethlehem is the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth generation Christians. Nazareth is the first generation Christians. And Nazareth needs Bethlehem. And Bethlehem needs Nazareth. See, Nazareth needs Bethlehem, needs the Bethlehemites so they can get a royal perception of themselves. Oh my, I'm going to talk to somebody on here where a Bethlehemite can look at a Nazarene and say, hey, no matter what you came out of, now that you have come into Jesus, you're royalty, you're a royal priesthood. And the Bethlehemites, they need Nazareth. They need the Nazarenes because the Nazarenes teach the Bethlehemites to get a first-generation hunger. My word. You see, the Nazarenes need a sixth-generation perception of themselves, and the, and the Bethlehemites need a first-generation hunger. Why? Because when you've been living for God for a while, things can just become old and a Bethlehemite's been serving God for a while and 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 they start trying to entertain the world and they're thinking about leaving but all of a sudden someone from the world walks into the church 
broken by the drugs, broken by the relationships, broken by the world. And when they see that Nazarene fall on their feet and fall on their knees and lift up their hands and begin to weep and cry, the Bethlehemite says, my God, this is the best thing I've ever had. This is, I'm never leaving this. I thank God for my heritage. I thank God for it. And the Nazarene looks at the Bethlehemite and says, wow, I can have that royalty from Jesus as a son and daughter of the heavenly father. See, Nazarenes, they have to battle with, with, these, with, these, uh, with this feeling of unworthiness because of the words of the past. The Bible says that the Israelites were in captivity for 430 years. Listen, but they got delivered from the whips of captivity in a single day. After they come out of Egypt for 40 years or in the wilderness, they come out of the wilderness and they go into the promised land. And the first words that God speaks to them when they get into the promised land, God says, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Hold on one second. They have been out of Egypt for 40 years, but God said, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt. The word reproach in the Hebrew, it literally means harsh words. It took them a day to get delivered from the whips of Egypt, but it took 40 years for them to get delivered from the words of Egypt. It wasn't just that they whipped them. It was what they said while they were whipping them. You're nothing. You're nobody. You're grasshoppers. You'll never be anything. And when God was trying to take them to another level, they could not believe that they were worthy because of the words that were spoken over them. But God said, today, I am rolling away the harsh words. Somebody that's listening to this podcast, you need an encounter today with God where God says, I'm rolling away the harsh words. You're not what your dad said. You're not, you're not the negativity that your mom said. You're not what, what family members said that have tried to discredit you and try to harm you and say, you're going to be just like your daddy. You're going to be just like your great grandfather. You're going to be like this. You're going to fail just like they failed. And these words begin to stick to your spirit and you're scared to believe for greatness. But God said, Today, I'm rolling the, the, the reproach off of you. Uh, one encounter with my presence, I'm taking it off of you and I'm replacing the rejecting words with royal words. You're mine. You've been beautifully and wonderfully made. You're a royal priesthood. You're a new creature. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. You're mine. You're my daughter, They that are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You are my son. I cherish you. I value you. And you don't have to perform to get into my presence. Nazarenes, they deal with performance issues. They feel like they have to perform to maintain healthy relationships. Oh, I feel like I'm talking to somebody right now. It's a, it's one of my favorite scriptures is, is when Jesus comes on, on the scene for 30 years, he's in obscurity. He doesn't do a single miracle. And then when he gets baptized, the voice from heaven speaks over him and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hold on for 30 years. Jesus has done nothing. He's not opened a blinded eye, unstopped a deaf ear, healed anybody. Yet the first words from heaven are, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
What God is saying is that my pleasure in you is not determined by your performance. It's determined by your relationship. You're my child, and you don't have to perform for my love. I feel a ministering anointing while I'm talking right now. You don't have to perform for God's love. I don't care if you came from Nazareth or from Bethlehem. You don't have to perform for his love. Nazareth, Nazarenes need those from Bethlehem to teach them on how to walk in that royalty. And Bethlehemites need Nazarenes because they need that hunger. And Nazarenes teach you how to get delivered from people. I'm about to minister to somebody right now because these Nazarenes, they came from different places. And, and once they came to Christ, their family members shunned them. Their family members turned their backs on them. And you know what? They didn't care. They just wanted to be in his presence. See, Nazarenes teach you how to get delivered from peer pressure. My God. You see, because those Bethlehemites, when you were raised on the pew, you were, you see, Nazarenes, when they first come to church, they come in with Burger King. Uh, they come in with uh, uh, gummies in the pocket. They're coming with McDonald's. They're, they're, they're coming with, with all, all of this stuff into the sanctuary. Uh, but the Bethlehemites, they're raised under the pew. They got tears coming down their eyes. They're sleeping during the sermon as children. They're, they're in a safe environment. And, 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 if, if your mom was a singer, then you at five years old, they're looking at you saying, hey, when, when are you going to sing like mama? If your dad was a preacher, hey, man, you're five years old with a, with a, with a lollipop in your mouth. They're like, hey, man, when are you going to start preaching? And, and there's this pressure by the Bethlehemite community. That, 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 that tries to form you into, into what the previous generation was. And the pressure is so heavy. You, your mom was a singer, but you feel called to children's ministry. But there is a pressure to sing, even though you don't feel called to sing. You, you, feel, you feel called to, uh, to be in, on, in media, but, but your dad's the pastor. And so they say, when are you going to start preaching? And you're like, I don't even feel called for that. I, I feel to do this. I like the content. I like making content. I like, but, but, but you can never be free to be who God has called you to be because of the pressure of the previous generations. Who am I talking to on here? It's what Elijah, it's what made Elijah want to kill himself. See, people think that Elijah wanted to die because Jezebel was after him. That's not true. We got to go to the Bible. This is why we call it Bible Center. We got to go to the book. Why did he want to hurt himself? Why did he not want to live anymore? Look what he said. He said, Lord, kill me now, for I am not better than my fathers. It was the weight of heritage that even when a man calls down fire from heaven, when he looks at the previous generation's exploits and all that they have done, he says, I'm not worthy to live. But then they see a Nazarene walk in uh, that's been shunned by family, that's been shunned by his former community. And they walk in and they just don't care. All they want is Jesus. And the Bethlehemite looks at the Nazarene and says, you know what? I'm not going to be who people expect me to be. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. And when you get a Nazarene and a Bethlehemite to link up in a church service, whoo, chains are broken. Because when the Bethlehemite worships, 
chains of insecurity falls off of the Nazarene. And when the Nazarene worships, chains of callousness and comfortability falls off of the Bethlehemite. My God, I'm talking to somebody listening right now. This is all just seen in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. How Jesus is born in Bethlehem, but he's raised in Nazareth. Born in a royal city, raised in a rejected city. And it's like him on the cross reaching to the right, to the left. He's reaching to the royal and he's reaching to the rejected. Everybody has a home. My Lord. Everyone has a home at the cross. And we see this with his presence. We see this with his anointing. And what's powerful about this, and I'm going to minister to somebody before I end. What's powerful about him being rejected was that this was the only place Jesus could come to survive the threat of of Herod. I want you to hear this. Jesus went to Nazareth for protection. Your rejection is your protection. Anything that is rejecting you, it means God is protecting you. Jesus had to go to Nazareth to a place of rejection to be protected from the onslaught of Herod. That is, that is profound to me that he finds safety in a rejected place. Sometimes, see, see what God did was what is the best place to hide? Watch this. Where's the best place to hide? This is God speaking. Where's the best place to hide? Where's the best place to hide God? Let's put him in Nazareth because no one expects greatness to come out of Nazareth. If God puts, if, if, if God is placed anywhere else, right? Maybe he gets exposed too quickly. But God said, I can hide for 30 years in a rejected place because I'm hiding there until the time of fulfillment. I won't start my ministry till I'm 30. His rejection was his protection. These nuances of the rejection of Nazareth and these nuances of Bethlehem, those with the weight of heritage, your, your great-grandma was a singer, your great-great-grandpa started revival, planted a church, and now everyone's looking at you to do the same thing. And you feel that pressure. You've been walking around with that pressure and you've been fighting depression and anxiety because you know all eyes are on you expecting you to be equal to what they did. But I'm here to speak a word of deliverance to you to, to be who God has called you to be. Not who they expect you to be. Because, because at the end of it, you're going to answer to God. You're not going to answer to them. Oh, I feel a ministering anointing right now. I feel a ministering anointing right now. There, there is something powerful about those from a Nazareth background, and there's something powerful about those with a Bethlehem background that each are valuable to God fulfilling his will in the end time. Just as these two cities were instrumental 
and Jesus Christ, these two principles are critical to the body of Christ. We need every first generation Christian and we need every Christian that's been serving God for two generations, three, four, five, six generations. We need you. And we don't need you to do what they did. We need you to do what God's calling you to do. That's what we need. But that's just looking at Matthew 2 and 23. He shall be called a Nazarene. Because I know I'm speaking to many of those that have been generations of Christian background that you suffered rejection because of your background right? That you've suffered rejection. Everyone's going to go through seasons of rejection. Everyone's going to go through seasons of, of turmoil, everyone. But I'm so thankful that we have a home in Jesus, that he can bring something beautiful out of the ashes. And if God can do it with me and is still doing it with me, he can do even more for you. This is the power of uncovering the treasures of God's word because we see these nuggets of how Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that he felt what you felt. He felt your anxiety. He felt your depression. He felt what you felt. And he overcame it. And now through him, we can overcome it the same way. Thank you for joining. Find a place to pray. We love you guys. Look forward to the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you could come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.